Welcome to Lamb of God Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Well, I hope you had a wonderful and blessed Thanksgiving. In time with your family and friends. And we're not going to talk about the ball game. <laughs> it was a great ball game, even though I, my team came on the wrong side of it. But uh, they're already calling it an instant classic on ESPN. So I have a feeling it's going to be showed over and over again for me to be able to watch that. Uh, that's right. That's right. Nothing. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so, no, I, I got to hear some of it. We were, I was at work most of the time, but it was a, got to see the end with India there. And, and um, so, uh, fascinating, fascinating game. So. Uh, congratulations to all your Auburn fans, which is almost all the church except me and Noah. Um, it says, yeah, okay. Okay, there you go. And there you go. Okay, got the, some jacks on my side there. Okay. All right. So we go. We're in. Uh, apologize. I'm going to try to be as clear. If I get uh, my voice gets low, let me know. I'll try to perk up. It's been a demanding three days. Um, we um, worked Thursday night. Uh, got five hours of sleep, came in and opened, and then uh, yesterday did all uh, what we call a store pickup. Last year we had our biggest day last year for Thanksgiving was 550 pickups. So that means people ordered online, they hit pickup at store, and then we have to pick the product, put it in those slots, and for them to pick it up. And we thought that was a lot. And But when <laughs> I came in yesterday, a young man had started the pickup report, and we were at uh, 1,100 picks with 200 waiting to be picked. And it absolutely overwhelmed us. And so, um, but uh, we're thankful for the revenue. And uh, it looks like they're going to have one of the best Christmases ever if things continue as it's going. So uh, but it was a very demanding day. But and so I worked about eight, a little about eight, eight and a half hours. So if I start drawing off, just say, hey, <laughs> pick up your voice. We can't hear you. Okay. Matthew 24, 36, the gospel reading for today. As we know, this is the first Sunday in Advent, the start of the new church year. I love the church year because it orients our lives into the life of Christ. And it causes us, instead of uh, living from... Mother's Day to Father's Day or whatever Hallmark card uh, holiday there is, we live from point to point in the life of Christ. And so Advent means coming. It also could mean in between. Okay, so that's what my title this morning is, In Between. In Between Time. In Between Time. So we're in Matthew 24, 36. Let me just go ahead and read it again because you may not have caught all of it at the gospel reading. You know, we'll make a few emphasis and then we're just going to talk about it a little bit. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with the handmill, and one will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. 
Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in the household time? I'm sorry, in the household to give them their food at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away for a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come, and on that day when he does not expect him, and at that hour when he is not aware of, He will cut him to pieces and assign him to a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of the Lord. Okay, the Advent season has three emphases. It's one where the second return of Christ is the one time in the church calendar where we focus upon the fact that he's coming again. This uh, doctrine is so radical that you're not allowed to preach it in a Chinese church. Now, why would that be? In China, in these three self-patriotic churches, the official church, the pastor cannot preach on the second coming. In the unofficial, illegal, underground churches, you can be arrested for preaching on the second coming of Christ. Why? Because it gives you hope. It gives people hope that one day Jesus will come and set all things to rights. It marks the Chinese government and lets them know their days will be numbered and their rule and reign will come to an end. It reminds people that there is a judgment seat of Christ. It's mentioned in Romans 14. We're all called into account and the Chinese government and all those who have done evil will be called into account. All of us will be called into account. This will be, the issue will be whether we're standing in the righteousness of Christ or we're standing before God's judgment seat on our own merits. So that's why this doctrine is so crucial. Now, it's been controversial because there's so many views and there's been so many takes on this that oftentimes people will give up on it because they've heard so many different teachings Maybe they've been at a prophecy conference or something or heard a teacher and things just get seem to be uh, confusing. What I hope to do this morning is just take this simple paragraph from Jesus and be able to explain it out to where it will make practical sense to you and become part of your everyday thinking. Okay, so verse 36, no one knows about that day or the hour, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but only the father. So Jesus is very, at the very beginning is he's reminding us that we can't figure out the exact day he's coming. That's the whole point. In fact, he wants to make the point so strong that he even says, I don't know. Okay? And that's thrown some people because he's fully God and fully human. He would be all-knowing and therefore he should know if he's one with the Father. Okay, for some that creates some confusion. But Jesus is saying, in my humanity, I'm purposely not knowing because I want you to understand that if I don't know, you're not going to figure it out. Okay, why is that so important? Because if we know the time, we think we'll just wait till the minute before to get right with God or the day before or the week before to walk with the Lord. We'll just do our own thing until we think we know the time. And Jesus is saying, I, it is just so important. 
So don't try to figure out the time. Just in my short lifetime, I've seen book after book. What was it? 88 ways that Christ will return in 1988 or something like that. You know, uh, I think his name was Harold Camping, if I remember. There's constant attempts uh, to figure out the exact date of Jesus' return. So you can be free of that. You don't have to buy those books, okay? No one knows about this day or hour. Now, there's been some people who will say, well, no one knows about this day or hour, but they know we can figure out the year and the month. Now, they're playing on English words and not understanding the Greek words. It's chronos and kairos, where we get chronological, okay? And kairos, for the important moment in Greek, it means something essential, crucial, crisis has happened. And so between those two Greek words, everything is covered. So there is no other uh, source of dating that you can use to try to figure out the time. Not even the angels, nor the Son, but only the Father. So point number one, you're free today to recognize the fact you don't have to figure it out. But also this reminds you, if I don't can't figure it out, my life needs to be lived consistently before the Lord. I need to live a consistent life before the Lord. I don't want to be doing anything embarrassing when he comes through the clouds. It's a motivation. Okay? Is a desire that my entire life would be lived consistently before him. Okay. Number, uh, verse 37. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Okay. So immediately Jesus is taken back to the Noah story. The Noah story is used uh, quite a bit in the New Testament as a reminder of an important moment in time. In the Noah story, it said that they, you know, put all the animals on the ark. And the family went up in the ark and closed the door. And everybody around them ignored it. Okay, you got this big, huge boat. You know, I haven't had a chance to go up to the, is it Kentucky where they built it? I think it's up in Kentucky, the Creation Museum and everything. And they've built an exact replica of the ark. It's massive. Okay, we had some relatives go up there, but we haven't had a chance to go. It's just massive. You would think for a moment, Why is this family doing this? They seem to be one of the the godly family. Uh, Noah is described as righteous. That means he's perfect. It means he's consistently attempting to live holy unto the Lord, and his heart is after the Lord. Okay? And you see the family gathering, and you see them hoarding all these animals and putting them on there. You would think that you would be alerted to something wrong. Something's changing. But no, you're so caught up in your sin. You're so caught up in the fact that you think everything's going to stay the same and I can be the same way. I can be just as selfish as I want to. That as this incredible spiritual and historic event is happening right before your eyes, you don't see it because sin causes you to be spiritually blind. And so Jesus is saying, as we approach his second coming, people are going to have the same attitude. Okay? They're going to be so walking in their sin, so oblivious to what's going on, that when momentous things happen, they're, not going, to, they're going to be so spiritually dull, they're not going to see it. Then, as in the comes, so will be at the coming. That word coming is a very important word. Matthew's the only one who uses it outside of Paul, and it's called parousia. 
Okay? And just throw that Greek out there because you may hear a teacher say it every now and then. Perusia is the, the event of the arrival of a great dignitary. Okay? When, you know, in the ancient world, obviously they'd have Facebook and have announcements, internet, uh, even in, not even a good postal service, you know. It, it's just, so they would send someone out ahead to announce to the city seizures coming. And when Caesar arrives, they would have a delegation outside the city ready to usher him in to the city to show him his importance. Um, I forget his first name. Nasser was his uh, name. He was the prime minister of Egypt. It was back in the 50s. Uh, the, a lot of Middle Eastern states are coming out from under, being under Britain and France as leadership after World War II, and they're establishing their own national identity. Uh, Nasser came down to this town on the Upper Nile to visit, and they were so honoring him, they had him turn the car off and put it in neutral. They wrapped ro- uh, ropes around the front end chrome back then there were no you know shock absorbers you just you could it was a chrome buffer and you could wrap a rope around it and they pull him in as a way of honoring him as he enters the city this is what the kind of word that paul is using of jesus he's coming it will be seen it will be glorious it will be important and as he ushers in it would be like a Caesar coming into town. The ultimate one, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, comes in in great power. And he comes in noticed, and he comes in changing everything by his presence. So one, we don't have to know the day and the hour, but we know that when he comes, the times that we live in will be similar to the times that Noah lived in, and that people are so caught up in sin that they will be spiritually blind. To the, and being sensitive to what's going on around them. Verse 38, For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Okay, So it's going to be sudden. People are going to be living their everyday lives. Now, as a Christian, you may not know the date or the time, but you're going to have a spiritual sensitivity to a sense that something is happening. And so you're going to become watchful, which is a word we're going to look at in just a minute. You're going to have a watchful heart and a watchful attitude. But the world, that is those who don't follow Christ and are in rebellion to the Lord and caught up in their sin, they will be, it'll be just like Noah. There'll be a swirling activity. They'll be caught up in their sin. They'll be doing their everyday lives. Then, boom, Christ returns. They will not have any sense of forewarning. And they will, they will be taken to judgment. So we've got, we don't know the time. We've got the importance of Christ coming in glory. It will be seen and marvelous. And we see from Jesus' description that the world will be caught up in sin and spiritually blind, and he will come from the world's perspective totally unexpected. Now, in verse 40, we have a little bit of a controversial verse that I hope I can explain well enough this morning. Verse 40, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with the handmill. One will be taking the other left. Now, this is often used as a proof text for the, uh, the doctrine of the rapture. I'm sure you've heard of that. 
right? Uh, the Left Behind series and other th- series where it will be like the um, church will be, there'll be a secret, uh, what's taught is that there'll be a secret return of Christ and he will catch up his church to be with him and they will be gathered up and then what will be left will be the um, sinful nations and the Jewish nation to go through the great tribulation. And this verse is used to support that doctrine. I don't want to spend the morning talking about that doctrine, but I want to say that this verse can't support that. What we tend to read it, the way we tend to read it, because of the way the rapture teaching is, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, they'll be raptured up, and another one be left behind for judgment. Two women will be grinding with the handmill, one will be taking the other left, so one will be raptured and one doesn't. That's not, we're reading it backwards, okay, when they read it like that. So, who's being taken? Okay, Noah's being, Noah is the one that's staying, and he's being saved in the example in verse 39. And who's being taken away? The people in judgment by the flood. So, we're reading it backwards, okay? So, two men will be in the field, one will be judged, and the other left in safety. Two women will be grinding at a handmill. One will be taken in judgment and the other left in safety. Okay, so if you're reading the verses in the context, the way Jesus is appealing to Noah, it's not talking about someone being taken up in a rapture. It's talking about someone actually being taken away in judgment. And the person who's staying behind is the one who's being kept safe, just the way Noah was kept safe and his family by the ark. Now, what's the point of the passage? The point of the passage is the assumption is the two men are related. The assumption is the two women are related. So, in other words, they're part of the same family. So, when Jesus comes, those who walk, it will divide families. Some will be walking with the Lord and trusting him and leaning on his righteousness and looking to him in faith, and they will be safe. Some will not, and they will be caught up in judgment. And for an individualistic society like ours, that doesn't tear at our hearts as much as it would tear at the heart of a first century person whose family is everything. You have an extended family of 50 to 100 people, maybe even living on one farm. And they are running the family business. Some people get upset when they read the Old Testament and they see that the firstborn son gets two-thirds or the double portion. And then the rest of the children get divvied up the rest. They th- we feel like that's unfair. Okay, But the reason why the firstborn son gets the double portion is because he's carrying on the family business. And if it's all divided up like that, let's say between eight kids, he can't. there's not enough left to keep the business going. And the family business is everything. So you, were, you, let, you had this very tight community where everyone worked as a family and as a business together living in a community, probably maybe even 50 to 100 people. Okay. So when Jesus says, there may, may be some in your family that's going to be kept safe because they've trusted me, and there's some in your family that's going to be taken away because they're not walking with me, and they're going to be judged. They're not going to be safe, just like in the days of Noah. So that makes us, even for those of us in um, modern culture of small families, that does, should, shake us. You know, we want to say, Lord, 
what can I do and in what kind of way I'll be a witness? Sometimes it's the hardest thing in a family to be a witness to your other relatives because they know all your faults okay, and all your struggles. But at least you can pray and intercede and ask others to be able to influence in their life. And then by your responses and your reactions to family problems, they would be a witness and a testimony to them because the divide will come right down a family. There'll be people who will walk with the Lord in one family and people who won't. And some may be caught in a judgment. So our prayer is so that everyone in our family, the people we love, would all seek the Lord and want to follow him and trust him. All right. So with this kind of intensity going on, we don't know the day and the hour, but when he comes, it will come in power. It will come in glorious. He's the Perusia. The son of man will come in power. And then... Um, for in the days before the flood, there will be life will be normal, and but we find that sin will make you spiritually dull, and we see that when Christ comes, that there will be a separation between those who love him, the sheep and the goats, if you will, and those who don't, and it will affect families. Verse 42, therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. What does it mean to watch? It's not something else to add on to the Christian life, some kind of rule or something you've got to keep. Having a watchful heart is a heart that wants to be pleasing, that wants to be holy, that wants to live a life that when Jesus returns, he will be pleased. You're not living this life to earn his approval or to uh, uh, gain his favor. You're living this life because he has forgiven you. He has transformed your heart. You've received his righteousness. His Holy Spirit's living in you. So within you, you have this desire to please him. And so you're being watchful for his coming, and you're wanting to live your life in such a way that would be honoring to him that when he walks into the room, his heart would be blessed because of life you're attempting to live in such a way that would bless his heart, that would please him. Bring joy to him. Turn with me real quick to First John chapter 3. First John 3, 1 through 3. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us so that we should be called children of God. So when you give your life to Christ, you look to him in faith and receive his righteousness. You're adopted into Christ and made part of God's family. That is true. It's not something you earn. It's something you receive. Okay, all by grace. And that is what we are, John declares. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. It doesn't understand the way we live and the way we walk because they haven't known Christ and they don't know what it's like to be a part of the family of God. Verse 2, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not been made known. But we know that when he appears, okay, this is another important word in the second coming language, epiphany. Okay. When he appears, when something that was unseen is made known, it's a full revelation. It comes before our eyes. So it's a reference to the second coming of Christ. When he comes in the second coming, we will be like him. So in other words, the Holy Spirit's working in your heart right now, and he's transforming your life. He's convicting your sin, and you're repenting of it. And as you're repenting of it, you're being forgiven. As you're being forgiven, you're being transformed into the likeness of Christ. As you pray, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, as you pray and you're looking in your face, it's being transformed. You're looking at him as, uh, as a mirror. 
Paul's using the illustration of holding up a mirror. As you're looking at him, you're being transformed from one glory to another. You're looking at him, you're admiring him, you're loving him in worship and in prayer and partaking of the sacraments and sharing and serving. Your life's being transformed and you're becoming more and more like Jesus. As you do, when he appears, there in verse 2, we shall be like him. Because of something we've done? No, because something he's done in us. For we shall see him as he is. Right now we're all walking by faith. We've all had some kind of experience where we know the resurrected Jesus and we know he is alive. We've never physically seen him. But at that moment we physically see him, we will recognize him in us. And he'll see himself in us. What a joyous moment that will be. But notice he says, verse 3, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. One of the motivations for me to want to live a holy life is that I can be pleasing, I can please the heart of Christ when we see each other face to face. That motivation keeps me wanting to walk holy. So when I'm tempted to watch something I shouldn't, when I'm tempted to say something about someone I shouldn't, when I'm tempted to want to take some money I shouldn't, when I'm tempted to want to lie on a document and I know I shouldn't, when I say no, I say no. Because I am empowered by the Holy Spirit to say no to this temptation as I do. That motivation, I have this motivation. If he was to walk in the room, if he was to appear right now, I would be pleasing in his sight and I would be blessing his heart. That motivation purifies me because I know when he comes, I want my life to be reflective of him and I want my life to be pleasing to his heart. I want to bring joy to the heart of the Father by the life that I live. So that's everyone who has this hope. What hope? The second coming of Christ is the hope. When you have that hope, it purifies you because you have this new motivation that you, the actions you take in the life you live, you want to be pleasing as he is. Just as he is pure, you want your life to be reflective of the life of Christ. And that motivation can come from recognizing the second coming of Christ is a true and real doctrine. It's a true and real event. It will really happen. And quite frankly with you, after all these years of studying and reading, a lot of these very complicated plans that people teach are not necessary. Okay, you don't have to. You know, you hear the pre-tribulation and the post-millennial and all these terms. A lot of those things you don't even have to know. Just read it as it is, and let the motivation of the second coming of Christ transform your heart and let Him purify your life. Okay, so therefore keep watch. So the idea of watching is that you're looking to Him in faith. The idea of watching is you're wanting to live a life that's reflective of him. You're wanting to be spiritually sensitive to the things that are going on around you as Jesus comes again, as you know that Jesus will come again. Verse 43, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. You see, in Jewish tradition, you had guards that kept around the village. And if they were in a walled city, you obviously had uh, trained Soldiers who are working the gates, they close and lock the gates at night and stand around the wall. If it's just a village community, the, all the animals are brought into the home. Okay, uh, A home would have smelled. 
You know how you walk in the zoo and you got that kind of rank smell, you know, uh, especially the, uh, the gorilla area? Well, to be frank, the first century homes had a section that would be like a barn and then a kind of split level thing where the family lived. And they had this trough that they dug out of the rock so that the animals could feed off the trough and drink the water. That's the, that's the manger that Jesus is set in. Okay. On Christmas Day. So it would have been kind of stinky smelly because all your livestock is now in the house because you leave it outside. Someone's going to steal it. So you had these rotating guards uh, at night, whatever village, whatever town, whatever city that was going on. And Jesus is saying, if you knew when the thief was going to come, you would have made sure the guard was standing there. But you're not always going to know, and the guards are not always consistent. And often they fall asleep at three in the morning, and they're not always, and they're not watchful. And he's saying, if keep watch in your spirit, because if you had known when I, the, the thief was coming, you would have put up protection. But you're not going to know when that's going to happen. Over and over again, Jesus is ascribed his second coming as someone as a coming as a thief in the night. Suddenly, unexpectedly, unknowingly, and then bam, he's there. So what must you do, verse 44? So you must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come in an hour you do not expect him. We live in a time and an age where we're quite comfortable. I, again, have been doing uh, running across blogs and posts and things of people talking about how wealthy we are as a culture. Another statistic I recently learned uh, from another pastor is that the two counties that are most unchurched in Alabama are Shelby County and Baldwin County. You know where Baldwin is on the other side of the bay from Mobile, Fairhope, Orange Beach. It's no, I think it's no accident that these two counties, the one we're standing in and the one in Baldwin County, are the two wealthiest counties in the entire state. So the most unchurched counties are also the wealthiest counties. Why? Because our wealth and how well we live and the life that we're living, we're so caught up in, we don't recognize our own spiritual need. As Jesus said to the D.C. in church, you feel like you have everything you think you are in need of nothing. And it creates a spirit of complacency. And you begin to live your life selfishly absorbed with all your needs and only uh, your uh, the focus of your life, never thinking about service or ministry or, or leading or guiding or helping others or sharing the gospel. So Jesus is saying, you must be ready. Don't let that complacency set in. Don't let our wealth color our eyes and cause us not to recognize our spiritual needs. When you're hungry in the day, you're very alert to the fact that you need God to provide for you. Most people in the world today don't know what they're eating this afternoon. We're going to walk out the door and we're going to say, which place do you want to go? Okay. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it can create a complacency because we're not aware of how needy we are and how uh, the Lord has faithfully met our needs, our physical needs. So Jesus is saying to us, you must be ready, verse 44, because the Son of Man will come in an hour, at a moment, when you least expect him. You're going to think everything's great. You're going to think everything's wonderful. 
and bam, he comes again and he, t- he begins to take his church and then the judgment seat of Christ starts. Okay. So as we walk away from this passage, we need to remember, we can't figure out the date or time. We're going to recognize that when Jesus comes, everyone's going to know it. He comes in the parousia. We're going to recognize that there's going to be a spiritual dullness in the culture around us, and therefore they're not going to be sent to do the fact that that something's happening. Their Their sinfulness is going to cause them to be spiritually blind. We don't want to be caught up in that because there will be a judgment, and it will affect everyone, even our own families. Therefore, we want to be watchful because that creates within us a spirit and a heart to want to live holy and purified lives. And as we do, we want to be ready, ready for when he comes. So when we see him face to face, our hearts are purified and we bring joy to the the heart of Jesus. As we look to him physically face to face, can you imagine a time when you, in your walk with the Lord, where you won't have to trust him by faith because you'll just see him face to face. And you know, obviously the motivation and the heart for that is you want him to say, taken from one of the parables in Matthew, well done, good and faithful servant. That's our heart. Okay. For the in-between time. Christ came the first time. He's coming a second time. We live in between those times, those poles. So I mentioned last week, we live in a fallen, sinful world where the Lord Jesus has come in his Holy Spirit. He's transforming us. He's transforming the world. But eventually he will come again and bring about a new creation and we will live with him for eternity. He will make all wrongs right and we will put things to rights. That's a truth we can stand on. That's a truth that the Chinese government and other dictatorial governments are afraid of. But we know in our hearts it motivates us because we want to please him. We look forward to seeing him face to face. We want to have lives that reflect his glory at that day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your blessing. We thank you, Lord, for this truth. It reorients our lives to know that you're coming again. That, Lord, you're coming again in great triumph. That, Lord, you're coming again to put all things to rights. And you're coming again for your people who you love. And you're coming again, Lord, that you might see in us your own face. We thank you for that truth. Burning in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Hope to see you next time.